So hi everyone, I'm here with uh, Bernie Smith, um, who's a, an author uh, and a consultant, uh, really with expertise in, in KPI. So, so Bernie, thanks very much for joining me, I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me along. Um, so, so in the whole world of sort of KPIs and dashboards and uh, business intelligence, I suppose. I mean, what 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 are you seeing now, especially through the the lockdown period? And you know, I mean, what are people looking for now? I mean, do they still have gaps in in what they measure and stuff? And what's your what's your latest kind of kind of view of the industry, really? Yeah, well, you know, I have, we all have our little bubble that we live in. Um, my bubble really book sales is one of the things that tells me a lot about what's going on. So I've seen waves of real real increases in interest so i saw my book sales treble pretty much overnight during the first lockdown <clears throat> you find that it, it wanes a little bit and then it then it resurges so there's obviously a lot of people out there thinking about measurement mm. and i i started sort of wondering why this was and i guess what's happening is so much more is happening virtually that i think people are having to rely rely on the instrumentation more you know so if you're on a surface ship you can you can look and see land and, and see other ships if you're in a submarine suddenly you become loads more dependent on things like sonar and energy mm. gas and whatever and i think that's what's happening uh, in certain businesses they've realized that um they're having to rely on data more because you can't look in people look people in the eye you can't walk around the office um so they're starting to think about measuring things that probably they would have relied on intuition or, or gut feel uh, in the past but it's quite a fragmented picture. So some industries are overwhelmed and you know have seen demand like they've never seen before. Others are in the doldrum. Doldrums. There's lots, lots of different pictures out there. So I don't, I don't think you can generalise, but I have definitely seen a big uptick in interest in performance measurement. That's that's definitely safe to say. Where do you, where do you see the main interest from? I think we were chatting before and talking about like the finance function as an example. Um, I, I spend quite a lot of time talking with with operations folks or credit risk folks. I mean, I mean, is there any sort of like themes around particular areas that are sort of really driving the interest in sort of this this the whole idea around measurement, I suppose? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. So my my background's engineering and operational improvement. Um, so I kind of expected that to be where the pool comes from, but but that's not the case. So um, I have a number of partnerships now with. Um, training organizations in the accounting world. So I work mm. with a couple of partners in the US and, and one in the Netherlands, which is the professional body. And it's largely FDs, financial controllers and whatever that are looking at the measures they currently have control of and realizing it's not the whole picture. And they mm. seem really interested in broadening their scope and broadening the service they offer to the business because finance KPIs are obviously essential and a legal requirement but they're almost all lagging so mm. a lot of FDs are looking at it going well how can we get ahead of the curve how can we figure out what we need to do and when we've got a problem before it results in a bottom line issue so um, huge amount of demand from the finance world of finance and interestingly also from accountants as well mm. so accountants are trying I think they see the cold wind of AI blowing mm. through the profession. So it's no longer good enough just to know the rules and, and be able to do the books. Um, they're looking to be trusted business advisors. So again, they're expanding their scope and KPIs is the obvious springboard. You know, they're already um, very data literate. They're already involved in reporting. So the question is, how can we add value to our business or to our clients' business? So that seems to be where I'm getting a lot of demand from at the moment. 
And I suppose some of that's a bit of a trend. I mean, you sort of saw that with some of the, the large big five consultancies, like you know, you know, the, 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 the big consultancies, stroke accounting firms, where they sort of like, they've been sort of like promoting, I suppose, almost like the, the, the finance department was doing more than that and sort of becoming the BI department. And it, I imagine it probably links into things like balanced scorecard coming through. And so like there's, there's this sort of gradual expansion of the, almost like the accountancy profession to a certain extent into, into like insight as much as, uh, yeah. as much as, as much as just, financial reporting i suppose yeah yeah i think a lot of a lot of um, finance people want to be a sort of consigliere if you'll excuse the uh, mm. the godfather reference um yeah they're, they're definitely moving into the trusted advisor con- internal consultant space and kpis is, is the way to do that because that's the way you stop being just someone with an opinion and actually start being someone with a objective factual um mm. insight that, that you can offer the rest of the business uh, and they're normally perfectly positioned to do that and do you think that's a reflection of the fact that the measurement in a lot of businesses is is really not um as good as it needs to be i mean i mean in terms of like big challenges <coughs> always around getting data off often isn't it it's like how do you actually produce the data is it usual format those kind of things is it is it a reflection of that the state that businesses are in i mean i mean that they were much more sort of reliant on almost like direct observation rather than sort of kpis and sort of i suppose uh, indirect measurement or or, or measurements uh, and reporting let me just share a picture that that basically summarizes what i see in most organizations can you see that yeah yeah okay so this forgive me if i've already shown this to you before but this is a street that i saw in the canary islands a few years mm. ago and what you see in the street is um, a local council that went down the street and really carefully laid a wavy pavement around about mm. 30 mature trees in the street. Now, mm. the same council went down the same street not very long afterwards because, it's, believe it or not, it's actually fairly recently resurfaced this. It, it doesn't look it because it's just rained. And they chopped all the trees down. Mm. Um, and, and those two decisions made perfect sense in isolation, mm. but the end result made no sense at all. And I think this is what lots of businesses are waking up to. They've got intelligent people, they're motivated, they're doing the best thing that they can, um, but the the overall effect, the overall result is not coordinated and it's not taking them towards where they need to go. So I think that the big challenge in almost every organization, but particularly in big organizations, just because you've got more people, is this lack of coherence, this lack of coordination. So I think there's always been good stuff going on in any mm. business. You can go into any business and, you know, I was in Unilever a few, uh, probably a decade ago, and they had fantastic operational measurement, live, live plasma screens as they were then in the canteen with live OEE and yield and everything else. Um, chances are though, if you go to another part of the business, it won't be coherent, it won't stack up, it won't align with that approach. So um, I think there's always pockets of excellence in any business at any given time. But the big mm. challenge is um, finding a common language that, you know, and a common method that everyone can get behind so that everything aligns. And ultimately, it's all going to join up at the top because it's all got to service our strategy. It's all going to deliver on the outcomes that we're looking for as an organization and i think that's the big challenge so most organizations have got some strategy or objectives or things they're working towards they've mostly got some good kpis some of which link some of which don't but that big picture typically tends to be a bit cloudy and it's often owned partly by the it team the mi team the bi team and then partly by 
the 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 execs at you know sort of top level stats they're the customer and there's often a big disconnect between the two so you've got the tech people you know trying to stay on top of the security challenges and managing the data and keeping costs down and and focused on what's deliverable and then the business which is craving business insight and the the two often don't join up And, and i suppose one of the challenges you often have is you know a couple of challenges you can either have not enough data or too much data so data data could be a challenge yeah. um so you handle that and then then what comes out of that is almost like too many measures right so and and how do you how do, how do you think about that in terms of just challenges around data and then challenges around getting the right measures i suppose yeah so that i mean they're both really really interesting problems um the one about too many measures it's, it's an absolute perennial one now <clears throat> there's a couple of ways of looking at this um, firstly is there is a hierarchy mm. so I, I'm working with a client at the moment to build a scorecard now one of their highly bright uh, highly intelligent motivated people has come back and said I can't do 10 KPIs I need 140 mm. and, okay right so what you're talking about is all the KPIs you need to run your business now that's that's slightly different from what KPIs do we need on the scorecard so if you had one KPI for a business, I guess most people would choose profit. Mm. Now, you can't run a whole business on that, but it's an outcome. It's an mm. outcome of hundreds and hundreds of things happening and going right or going wrong. Um, so <clears throat> what you can do is you can drop down the hierarchy. So if you're in a manufacturing business, you could say, well, it's OEE efficiency. Mm. It's yield. Um, it's unit um, profit. For example, those would be high level outcomes. So if you want to bring things under control, identify the high level outcomes that you need to monitor and you can normally bring the field down dramatically. Mm-hmm. Now, at an individual KPI level, there's two questions we can ask as well. That is, how important is this KPI? Now, that sounds obvious, but then there's also how easy is it to measure? Mm-hmm. And as part of my my method, the results orientated KPI system, that's how we take that hierarchy of KPIs that we identify visually using something called a KPI tree, uh, that always produces too many KPIs. And then we do the shortlisting process where we ask how important is it and how easy is it or hard is it to measure? Now, the reason that's so useful is it does two things. It uh, helps us eliminate KPIs that are perhaps easy, but not that important. Now, you think they're not that common in organizations, but they are everywhere mm-hmm. as soon as Verin or you know sap come in and or consultants come in and put a new system in the first thing they do once the system is just about up and running or limping along in most cases is they switch on every report because they want to look like they've delivered value so mm-hmm. suddenly the business is ears deep in 500 page reports that make no sense at all mm-hmm. so giving ourselves permission to stop measuring things that are easy but trivial is is the first result um, actually, I've said two, there's three outcomes here. Secondly, um, things are important and easy to measure. That's easy. They, they just go on our dashboard and reports and off you go. But the, the gold bars actually sit in the important but hard to measure category. Mm. <clears throat> because these are the ones that get completely forgotten. They get overlooked. They get pushed to one side because everyone goes, oh, they're impossible. Mm. But experience tells me there is nothing that's impossible to measure. Sometimes you have to go for proxy measures. Um, so you can't directly measure the thing that you're interested in, but it, everything is always measurable if you care enough about it mm. and you're prepared to put some resource, time and effort into it. Mm. So that that's the process I use to to bring that list down under control. And the nice thing is because they're scored, there is no hard cutoff. 
So you end up with a ranking between zero and 100. Mm. 100 is super important. So that'd be cash in bank or, you know, um, catastrophic safety issues, for example. Um, a 10 is trivially easy to measure. So cash and bank would be another one that's an eight, nine or right. 10 for most businesses. So going through that process, you end up with this, this hierarchy, this ranked list, and then it's a business decision. We go down and we say, okay, obviously we're going to do the ones at the top. Let's work down the list, make a decision about which ones we're going to do now, which ones we're going to do in the future. Right. One of the Achilles heels of around like KPI adoptions is also, also like organizational buy-in as well. So you just talked about there around sort of like how you sort of, um, you talk about it, talk, talk with people around getting buy-in around, you know what what the priority of 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 order is in terms of you know i suppose the, the priority of yeah. um adoption of each of the kpis as well i mean i mean how how do you think about that because if if people aren't adopting it then you know or they they, they kick back against the measures that are being suggested then they don't get used and then they go to the other the other Can 20 I? ones so so i have a confession here so i'm i'm probably on the the slightly aspergic end of the spectrum um and i tend to look at problems rather than people Okay, mm. and I got an almighty wake up call in a matrix management consulting organization that I worked with about uh, 12 years ago. Um, so I cooked up what I thought was a genius set of KPIs and dashboards, um, <clears throat> thought I'd identified the stakeholders, and missed about 20 people off the list. Mm. And then con con there was then the experience of basically a bear fight when we had a meeting where these 20 non engaged very very disgruntled stakeholders turned up and ripped me to shreds yeah. um, and I, I learned at that stage that the second thing on the list after you decide what you want to do as a business is you get the right people on a list then in a room and then regularly engaged at every single step of the process as you go mm. through um, so in, in my method step one is figuring out what you want to achieve Step two is identifying the right people. And I've built the whole process to be collaborative um, because if people are not intimately involved in every step, then they will not fully engage. They will not fully support um, what it is that we're trying to do. So couldn't be more important. What's interesting during lockdown is almost like that the, the, the people interaction piece is important, right? And there's, as a data, as like as data people, like we, we like to be in the numbers, like to look through the, you know, through the reports, generating reports, generating metrics, KPIs, et cetera. But the people side is still important. And so how are you finding that in terms of that engagement through uh, doing it remotely or doing not being able to see people face to face? Yeah, so uh, actually it's worked surprisingly well. So, um, and the reason I think is that the process is intensely visual. So I'm a visual person um, and the heart of the method I use is something called a KPI tree. Now, what we've been doing is we've been building those in uh, a virtual whiteboarding tool called Miro. Um, so it's actually worked really well because when you're doing a classroom session or a, you know, a, a seminar room session, um, typically you've got one person on the computer or someone on the, the whiteboard controlling the tree build process. But when you use something like Miro, you can genuinely all have hands-on on the diagram. So if you do it right, it's actually a superior experience. Now, you don't have the informal sort of coffee chats and whatever that you get face-to-face, -face, so I miss that. But a lot of the uh, online facilitation tools, if you use them intelligently, um, then they become really powerful. Mm. Um, However, I had, a, I had an amazing um, Radio 4 program uh, a little while ago um, about machines that change the world. And they talked about how people implement new technology. Sorry, I'm going slightly off beam here. Stop, stop me. Okay. 
Stop me if, it, if it's uh, too too random. So the, the, they were talking in that program about how when factories went from steam engines to electric motors, they just took the steam engine and they changed it for an electric motor. Now, factories were designed to run with a line shaft all the way down and all the all the machines in the factory ran off this one line shaft, which was driven by a steam engine. That's mm. because you had one big steam engine. So when they first um, implemented electric motors, they did that. They put one big electric motor in and had everything running off that. And it didn't work particularly well. And it took them about a decade to realize that what you do is you stick a small electric motor in every other machine. You can put the oh. machines where you like. Um, oh. And I think online tools are the same. I think we're all falling out of the classroom and online you know, in, in, in with a sense of urgency because of COVID. And we're trying to use the tools in the same way that we use that we would have used a whiteboard and a flip, flip chart. Actually, the value comes from using them a little bit differently. And I think we're all kind of exploring exploring how to use those tools. But I think some quite powerful lessons will come out of that. So talking a bit about dashboards, I want to ask you about dashboards and reporting and BI tools that, that are out there as mm. well. I mean, we talked a bit about, you know, the creation of the MI, um, you know, creation of uh, various KPIs, the, you know, the extraction of the data, but it has to be visualised in some way. I mean, so that's been quite a hot, a hot, um, hot theme, I suppose, over the last over the last few years and we're good to get your kind of kind of view on it in terms of like where it's been developing what the value of it is you know how do yeah. you how do you how do you think about that and integrate it into businesses you work with so um this was this was something i was i i thought about quite a lot when i developed my rocks method of um 2012 um there's a lot of very good thinking that's been done you know a comparatively long time ago by people like mm. steve Pugh and, and edward tuft um on visual design as a means of understanding things mm. so these, these two schools of thought out there there's the people who want things to be easy to understand intuitive mm. quick and then there's the people who want to impress um, and i think for a long time the people who wanted to impress sort of lived in the software world you mm. know we've all seen beautifully three-dimensionally rendered pressure gauges and volume knobs and things like that um, and that's from what I call the, the, the world of bling. Uh, people who want to put up a dashboard want to get a gasp really quickly. Mm. Um, and I think people have realized that's a bit like having a diet of sweets. Mm. You know, it's fine for the first couple of mouthfuls. And after a couple of days, you, you're heartily sick of it. It's not actually helping you um, with your goal, which should be around making the right business decisions. Mm. So to make the right business decisions, the presentation layer needs to be almost invisible mm. you know when you look at a road sign you do not want to think about the quality of the artwork you want mm. to know there's a cattle grid 50 mm. meters ahead or that there's a there's a giveaway line 100 meters ahead so i think um the the world of visual design and visual presentation has grown up and i think people are realizing that the job of dashboards and reports is not to impress it's to get out of the way it's to be, become so intuitive that you almost don't see it and the way you do that is by following the rules of good visual design uh, and sort of put very briefly it is about using minimal encoding so mm. minimal use of color minimal use of lines minimal use of any visual clutter that does not convey information mm. it's about brutal simplicity um, mm -hmm. simplest possible type of charts the least amount of encoding uh, and it's about being consistent um, mm -hmm. because if we want to intuitively understand something we need to harness 
short and long-term memory and also uh, something called iconic memory. So we need to be relentlessly consistent and rules-based and standard-based in our approach. Right. So that's that's the way it's moving. And I, I did some work myself. I developed something called the Brilliant Excel Dashboard Kit, which mm. was applying these principles. And then I met um, a guy called Jürgen. Um, so Dr. Jürgen Feist. Um, mm. And he teamed up with a, an ex-McKinsey consultant called Professor Hickert. And they came up with something called the International Business Communication Standard. And I was just mm. reaching for a copy of their book. Mm. Um, they have taken all of these principles and they have done a fantastic job of creating a visual standard called the IBCS, the International mm. Business Communication Standard. Um, now, I've, I've had the pleasure of talking with, with Jürgen on a number of, of speaking to us. Fantastic guy. They've done an amazing job. And what... One of the strengths of IBCS is it's now supported um, natively in SAP. Um, mm. It's supported pretty well um, through third-party plugins in Click and to a lesser extent Tableau. Um, and Zebra BI support it in Excel, as do HighChart and various other people. So there's a good standard out there based on really sound principles. And I think mm. I think this is the way the market should be going. This is massive for mainland Europe. It's less well known in um, the UK and the US for some reason, but I think that will change. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you know minimalism, standards-based. Um, you know, in the same way that a musician doesn't assert a creativity by the way in which they write the music notes down. Mm-hmm. As business professionals, we shouldn't be trying to express our creativity through how we create charts. It should be in other ways. And, and how do you how do you feel about that with um, AI? I suppose AI has been talked about has been a bit of a um, you know, has, has had a lot of profile, and I, I, you know, I use AI, but I mean, talk about machine learning, I suppose, as well. Um, but um, I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, there's some discussion around whether that should, you know, really get out of the way and just be telling people what it is, rather than being able to see all the dials and the inner workings as well. I mean, what's what's any any kind of view on that? Yeah, so um, AI is like having a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want to chop a piece of wood up, fantastic. Um, but if you have a chainsaw and you don't know what to do with it then you've got a problem. Um, Mm. It's a tool um, to solve a particular problem. Now, as someone with a shed full of power tools, most of which don't get used very often, I understand the attraction of the new. Mm. But um, I'm always uh, interested to learn about these things, but not necessarily keen to apply them Mm. unless I see the right situation. Now, AI is interesting because it's a many-headed beast. So you've got machine learning, you've got, um, well, you've got a whole toolkit full of AI tools. Some of them are really, really interesting. I mean, I I, um, did a talk with a guy uh, a year or so ago where he showed me these tools that can take unstructured data Uh and, you know, extract meaningful uh, queryable data from that unstructured data. So Uh if you take uh, most systems that I've worked with, you've got the structured um, side of things, name, address, postcode, and so on. And then these comments fields where stuff goes to die Mm. now if you can use ai to actually extract insight from that that's potentially really powerful but you need to know what you want to answer so ai is fine um you know bi tools are fine but they are servants they are there to help us make the right decision to to get the right insight so i kind of temper my excitement there's there's an inner gadget freak who loves new shiny things but I know that businesses very easily get distracted by that. And actually, it's fundamental questions about what are we here to do? What does 
success look like and how do we move towards success? Those are the questions we need to be focusing on. And if we use those tools along the way, that's great. But they're not they're not a, a, an end in themselves. Mm. I, I quite like the analogy of uh, I think about um, airline pilots, actually, which is in KPIs, um, which is almost like you, you can remember the old days we used to have, not uh, knobs and dials you used to be able to measure everything you went in the back of the concord yeah everything and you used to have a, a, an engineer right you used to sit at the yeah. back used to measure you it. have one of these <laughs> uh, yeah it's yeah exactly. a bit of a tornado <laughs> yeah yeah so, so they used to they used to measure everything right and if you look at like a modern jet airliner up front i mean it is it's graphical displays it's simplicity it's about getting the information and even links with AI, because you don't need to know all of the things that are going on, all the parameters. What you need to know is what's the outcome and what does that mean to you? And is that relevant to you? So it's almost like it's fed, it's filtered and fed for the human to then digest it for the important information around outcomes. Yeah, that's that's, that's, a, that's a really, really good point, because we've all got a pretty low threshold over which we're overwhelmed. Mm. Um, and, you know, if you're busy, if you're tired, if you're middle aged, you know, your capacity to process information is somewhat diminished. So mm. one of the big challenges is shielding us from any any of the noise and mm. just focusing us in on the things that um, really need our attention. So, yeah, so it's a very good point. You know, I've been reading reading your book. Um, and um, you know, so so one of the questions that come up there is just like, how do you keep things going from a KPI point of view? So you obviously got the models in, you've got the dashboards in, you started getting the measurements out, you've got the business excited around it, but then things change over time. So how do you just how do you keep it fresh over time? Uh, that's an interesting question. So um, I think it was Seth Godin um, came up with this concept called the dip. Um, mm. I don't know if you've come across it, but you definitely, definitely get it with KPIs. Um, yeah. So what I'll do is um, two a sort of two-pronged process. First, I'll warn people that the dip is coming. Mm. So I'll say, you'll get excited about this. You'll feel really positive. And then actually, the definition and implementation phase is a hard flog. Mm. So I'm I'm honest with people up front about it. And also, I'll hold their toes to the fire. Mm. Um, we will agree up front that we're going to have regular check-ins. Um, and, you know, it's it's like a fitness program in that you have to stick with it and you will not get results until it's been fully bedded in. Mm. And for me, the, the, there's a, a kind of end goal that we're looking for here. And that end goal is people coming into the office or coming into the shop floor. And the first thing they look for mm. are the performance figures. So when I was doing operational improvement in manufacturing, you knew that you would basically got over the, the biggest hurdle when mm. the shift supervisors come in. And the first thing they do is go over to the whiteboard, check out last shift's performance, see whether they've beaten the other shift. Yeah. And as soon as they did that, you knew we're sorted because they care so deeply about those KPIs that they're flying. So that's what we're aiming for. But it does take time. There is this big dip. And it does take discipline. Good stuff. So, so, so when you th look ahead, I suppose, um, what, what, do you, what do you see as sort of like being on the horizon around, I suppose, data, analytics, um, KPIs, et cetera? I mean, so that we're, we're in this sort of like much more digital world. We've probably got more data than we've ever had. I mean, and digital processes seem to drop data everywhere. I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you see as sort of being the challenges over the next sort of like, you know, three, five years? So, you know, I, th I think this isn't just a challenge of now. This has always been a challenge. But there is, we all need to be st start. We all need to start being a bit more unreasonable. Mm. If you don't understand it, if you are confused or overwhelmed, the problem is with what you're being presented with, not mm. with you. So there's this this tyranny that really is perpetuated by a lot of the software and data companies, which is, we'll just throw this stuff at you. 
And if you can't make intelligent decisions or you don't understand what's being thrown at you, then you're a bit stupid. Mm. Um, and I think it's it's time that the customers of these organizations, be it internal or external customers, start being a bit more unreasonable and say, I want this to make sense. Mm. I want this to have meaning and I want it to be contextualized for me. Mm. So, you know, if you think about video recorders, um, I'm, I don't know how you are, but I'm old enough to remember that um, for, for a few years, teenagers were required to program video recorders because they were too hard for you know for for adults to program now um if you ask an adult what they wanted they say yeah i want you to record bbc one seven o'clock next friday so they could mm. perfectly articulate mm. what they wanted but the video recorders were bleeding impossible to, mm. to to program and i think we're sort of at that stage um still with data and analytics mm. you know you can explain what you want the system can do it but it hasn't been made um, simple and intuitive enough for for mere mortals to do it. Mm. And I think that's where I think it's where AI comes into play. And I think it's where good design comes into play. And I think we've still got a huge, huge distance to go. Um, you know, where you can just in natural language explain what you want. It is presented. It is reliable. You trust it. And it helps you make the right decision. I think that's got to be the ultimate goal, rather than overcomplicating yeah. things. I think it's a more human-centric approach. So, Bernie, thanks very much for making the time and chatting to me. I, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's always good to chat with you. Absolute uh, pleasure. And, and uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks, Chris. Real pleasure. You take care. Thanks.